Well, our text for this morning, taken from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, is undoubtedly familiar to many of you. It is taken out of what is commonly referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount is the most studied discourse from the most read book in human history. The Sermon on the Mount spans from Matthew chapter 5 through Matthew chapter 7. And if you're reading it continuously, it, it will take you about 10 minutes to read through this sermon. But I can assure you, however, that the first century multitude did not climb up a hill or a mountain in a remote location to listen to Jesus deliver a 10-minute sermon. By way of comparison, there may be some among us, I hope there are some among us this morning, who are taking notes from the back of your bulletin, you're listening to a few things I'm saying, and you're scribbling some things down, and if you do that, I suspect at the end of my message, if I were to review your notes, I could read them in less than 30 seconds. These notes, of course, simply record the key themes, or the highlights from a much longer message. Well, this is how we should be regarding the Sermon on the Mount. This is not a verbatim manuscript of what Jesus said. It's possible that Jesus actually preached several messages that day. Some scholars even wonder if he preached the Sermon on the Mount over a period of a couple of days. What Matthew preserves for us are simply the key themes. Matthew preserves for us the highlights from Jesus' messages. So what is the prevailing theme of the sermon? It is the nature of the kingdom of heaven. The nature of the kingdom of heaven. Or as it's referred to elsewhere as the kingdom of God. More specifically, the Sermon on the Mount provides us with a glimpse of the values of God's kingdom. Now, if you're a world traveler, if you've been to many places around the world, you'll notice that every location has a particular set of values distinct to that place and to that culture. Well, that is also true of God's kingdom. There are a set of values, a set of ethics that are particular to God's reign, particular to God's kingdom. Now, the values that we find here in Matthew 5 have been given a nickname based on a Latin word, and we translate it as Beatitudes. The Beatitudes. These are the values that Jesus gives us. We have eight declarations. Now, some scholars argue there's ten, but really what I see clearly are eight declarations that begin with the phrase, Blessed are, or blessed be. You may be aware that in the original Greek, the word translated here as blessed is the word makarios. And I'm probably not even pronouncing that right. But what's more important is that the word means literally to be happy. To be happy. Now it's not the common word used in the Greek for happiness, but it is a word commonly used by classical Greek poets and philosophers who want to make reference to the attainment of life's ideal. So to attain life's ideal is this word makarios, translated in most Bibles as blessed, but we can translate it as happy. 
So what we're talking about here is not some fleeting kind of happiness, but rather a sustainable happiness, an enduring happiness. And what Jesus is doing is he's connecting the values of the kingdom of heaven with genuine happiness. In order to make the point for us that true happiness is the product of living according to kingdom values. True happiness is the product of living according to kingdom values. And what is striking is that these values that are held out by Jesus are not at all the values that are esteemed and held out by today's society. We live in a world, don't we, that treasures self-confidence. A world that treasures self-expression. And we marvel at people who seem to have a mastery over their own life. These things, we're told, are the result of aligning yourself with the right people. Gaining the right credentials and acquiring the most resources you can. The declarations of Jesus, however, point us in a markedly different direction. Jesus does not say, happy are the self-assured, happy are those with high self-esteem. But rather, Jesus says, happy are the poor in spirit. How counter-cultural. Happy are the poor in spirit. Now I could go through each of the Beatitudes in turn, but in the interest of time, I want to suggest that we can summarize the values put forward by Jesus with a single word. And it is the word humility. The common thread running through these declarations is the value of taking a humble posture before God and also having a humble estimation of oneself. And so this is where I got the summary statement from. Happy are the humble. Happy are the humble. Jesus very clearly sets before us the way to true happiness. And yet most of us would admit that acquiring enduring happiness is often elusive. We'd likely admit that we're not as happy as we want to be. We're not as happy as God has designed us to be. Well, why is that? Why is that? As far as I can discern, the values identified by Jesus in this sermon are not values we naturally pursue. We don't wake up in the morning thinking, Oh, I'm going to be poor in spirit today. Oh boy, I'm going to be full of mourning and full of meekness today. That's not a tendency we naturally have. It's not my default position to be humble. It's not even my default position to pursue humility. It's not our tendency to be poor in spirit. Well, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones accounts for this. He suggests that each beatitude is a disposition which is produced by grace alone and by the operation of the Holy Spirit upon us. Accordingly, I think you will find it to be a very frustrating exercise if you simply leave here today thinking, I'm going to pull up my bootstraps and I'm going to try to be more humble than I currently am. Because gaining humility is not something we acquire through sheer effort. 
but rather the characteristics we're talking about are bestowed to those who are simply drawing close to Jesus Christ. So I wouldn't want you to leave here thinking that the Beatitudes are a kind of formula. And if you follow the formula, if you follow the recipe, then you'll automatically have happiness. The Beatitudes are traits that are imparted to us, given to us by Christ. And when Christ gives us these traits, it makes us genuinely happy. Now I want us to take a few minutes to look at the structure of these Beatitudes. If you're looking at the text, you'll see that while there are eight declarations, there are six promises sandwiched in between two assurances of possessing the kingdom. So the first declaration is, do this or or be this, and you get the kingdom of heaven. And the last one is, if this is you, then you get the kingdom. And then the six in between are promises. And what, what this means is that the assurances of gaining the kingdom are in the present tense, they're for now, but the six promises in the middle are in the future tense. As if to suggest that the blessings of God's kingdom can be experienced today in the here and now. But the blessings of God's kingdom are also a future reality. That the full benefit of what Jesus is promising is something that will wait to the age to come. So let's quickly run through these promises. First, those who are poor in spirit gain the kingdom of heaven. Second, those who mourn will be comforted. Third, the meek will inherit the earth. Fourth, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled, they'll be satisfied. The merciful will be shown mercy. The pure in heart will see God. The peacemakers will be called sons of God. And those who are persecuted for their righteousness gain the kingdom of heaven. So we look at that list. And while we may get a foretaste of what it means to be comforted by God in this life, the reality is we have to wait until heaven to experience complete comfort. We have to wait until heaven, until all sadness is taken away, when there is no more crying or death or pain. We get a foretaste of comfort here. We get complete and absolute comfort in heaven. We get a sense here on this earth what it's like to have a satisfied soul. But our total satisfaction is not ever going to happen in this life. We may have a season of satisfaction, but to be fully and permanently satisfied, we need to take up our permanent residence in heaven. And while we may have some experience of God's mercy in this life, He may have touched us with His grace and His love. We've experienced His forgiveness. We will only fully appreciate what God has done for us when we see Him face to face in glory. So what you have presented here by Jesus is a picture of the present, God's kingdom here and now, and a picture of the future. A glimpse into what eternal glory in God's kingdom will look like. 
The principles and the values of the kingdom, Jesus says, must be pursued and lived out now. Even if the full benefits of the kingdom remain a future reality. Now, the Bahamas is known for tourism, of course, but it's also known for investment banking. And if you've ever spoken to a financial officer, they will tell you about the advantages. If you invest some of your money now, and if you live long enough, you'll get the benefit of your investment later on. Uh, there's a similar thing happening in terms of what Jesus is saying here. If you live in a particular way now, it will pay dividends in eternity. Well, another analogy I could give you that comes to my mind uh, emerges from a congregational event we had earlier this year on Paradise Island. And for this event, we hired one of the top caterers in this country to prepare for our gathering uh, a series of appetizers. Now, just in case you weren't there that night, I need to tell you, you missed something that was an absolute culinary delight. The appetizers were absolutely fantastic. In fact, I still bring to my mind these potato cake appetizers I had. I can still see them now, nice and crisp. And they had a little dollop of sour cream and a little bit of pesto. And it was the best one bite sensation I've had in a very, very long time. Now, if you're thinking, well, I was at that event and I don't remember seeing those. Well, it's probably because I ate so many of them that, that you were uh, not given the privilege of eating these potato cakes. So I reflect on how much I loved the food at that event on that evening. And then it later hit me. Everything we ate that night, those were just appetizers. And I thought, if I can enjoy the chef's appetizers that much, how good is her entrees? I want to have some of the main core stuff that she does. If her appetizers are this good, I need to find a way to get the entrees in me. Friends, this is how the Christian should view their experience here on earth. I'm going to wait for that police car or ambulance. I can never tell which is which. There we go. What God is presently serving to each of us, what he is currently offering to each of you, is markedly better than anything else currently being served on this earth. But what I want you to know is that which God currently is offering to you, they're just his appetizers. What God gives us is the best thing in the world, but it's His appetizers. And Jesus is telling us there are even better entrees being prepared for you in heaven. The entrees of heaven will be perfect. The entrees of heaven will never spoil. They will endure for eternity. So how do we get this? Well, what ladder must I climb? What test must I write and excel at? What is required for me to get this? I don't want just the appetizers. I want those, but I want the entrees too. What do I do? Well, what is required is countercultural and it's counterintuitive. The way to receive these blessings begins with the lament that we cannot acquire them for ourselves.
The way to receive enduring happiness is by humbly recognizing that we're depending on the work of another. Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I don't know where the phrase was invented. You know the phrase, God helps those who help themselves. That's not in the Bible. That theme isn't even in the Bible. I don't know where that came from. I wish I could find the person. God does not help those who help themselves. God helps the helpless. He gives life to the poor in spirit. He gives to those who cry out to them. Jesus says, blessed are they that mourn, for they will be comforted. Well, what's being mourned over here? What's being mourned over here? I think we need to take our cue from the statement before. Those who have a keen sense of their poverty in spirit, those who have a keen sense of their helplessness, do what? They mourn over that. We're not happy about our helplessness. We mourn over it. And that's why a few verses later you read about those who hunger and who thirst for righteousness. So the first part is we recognize we can't do it. We can't climb the ladder. We can't pass the test. We can't do what's necessary to gain God's forgiveness and favor. We can't do it. And so we mourn. And then we hunger and thirst for a remedy to our predicament. And the good news of the gospel is that God provides the remedy to our predicament through Jesus Christ. God provides the remedy to our predicament through Jesus Christ. The answer is not found within us. It's found within Him. Enduring happiness is not something I get by way of my performance. Enduring happiness comes to those who humbly turn to Christ as the one who alone can meet our deepest need. To put it more simply, happy are the humble. And as you humbly turn to Christ, as you begin to experience the blessings of Christ, I want you to keep in mind, the blessings of Christ in this life are just the appetizers. We're just getting warmed up. The entrees of heaven are still being prepared and will be served to all who wish to dine with Christ in eternity. I look out this morning and and I do not presume to know where each of you is at. I don't know the nature of your relationship with Christ. But if you call yourself a follower of Christ, if Christ is your king, then it is his value system which ought to govern us and guide our daily living. And it's a value system that's very different from the rest of the world. And I love the way that F.B. Meyer puts it. I love this quote. F.B. Meyer writes, I used to think that God's gifts were on shelves, one above another. And the taller we grow, the easier we can reach them. 
Now I find that God's gifts are on shelves. And the lower we stoop, the more we get. Friends, what I want to urge you to this morning is not to climb to great heights. I want to urge you to stoop as low as you can possibly go. Draw near to Christ. Get low as you can. And there you will find His greatest gifts and His greatest blessings. The very clear message of Scripture, the very clear message of the greatest sermon ever preached on the Sermon on the Mount, is that those who are happiest in this world are the humble. Amen.